An investigation by the United Nations and the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe accuses Russia of gross human rights abuses in Ukraine, including targeting children. Their findings could leave not only the military commanders, but Vladimir Putin himself open to prosecution for war crimes. Professor Shelley Inglis is Executive Director of the Human Rights Centre at the University of Dayton, Ohio, and she's been reading the report. So it documents their own view of destruction, sites of destruction, graves, places of detention and torture, weapons remnants and documents and reports, as well as their interviews with more than 150 victims and witnesses in 27 towns and settlements providing the initial evidence of what they've been able to collect in the time period since they were established. And it focuses on four areas, how the Russian Federation and military have conducted their hostilities, indiscriminate attacks against civilians, what we call violations of personal integrity, so things like torture and execution and sexual and gender-based violence against persons between the ages they found of four and 82 years old. Between four and 82 years of age, that is the age range of victims? That's that's shocking. Yes, and they made a very explicit finding around the impacts of this war on children, both as victims of direct sexual and gender-based violence and other forms of violence, as well as the significant impact of indiscriminate attacks on children's lives. And then the rather extreme refugee situation and the fact that children have had to flee a lot of Ukraine to remain in safety. So they have focused this report on the impact on victims and they have taken a very victim-centred approach to their investigation. Where do these actions go beyond the normal, the tragic, but tragically normal, in a sense, casualties of war? Civilians are always caught up as casualties of war. It doesn't always cross the threshold into war crimes. Um, Where is this line being drawn? Yeah, that's a great question. It's drawn in two ways. One is where there are attacks and use of weapons that a military will know will impact civilians. Targets that are civilian targets, that are not military targets, If you are attacking those places like schools or hospitals that are known to be places of civilians, that is the kind of violation that we're looking at. Or the use of indiscriminate weapons like cluster munitions. So the types of weapons that you use, you know that they will result in civilian death on an indiscriminate level. And then there are the violations that happen against individuals Once you've taken over territory, for example, and you take people into detention, if you execute them, if you torture them, if there are signs of torture on their bodies in mass graves, or if you rape and sexually assault them, that crosses a line. Once you have civilians in your care as an occupying force, you need to treat them in certain ways. There can be very clear evidence and witnesses that the military has treated civilians explicitly in ways that violate 
the norms or the laws of war. Shelley, I was reading a piece not so long ago in The New Yorker, which raised this complex issue of the populations being transferred, the people from the Ukraine being transferred into Russia. And there was a kind of ambiguity about it because... Some people felt they were being abducted. Others felt, and they weren't necessarily pro-Russian, but they felt they were being given away out of a war zone. I think they were being accommodated in disused Russian seaside resorts. What are the laws about transferring people, about transferring populations? It's forcible transfer, and particularly when you're taking children and you are taking them away from their families and you are taking them across internationally recognized borders, or if you're taking adults against their will across internationally recognized borders, that is, is of course, a human rights violation. And then the treatment of those individuals in the filtration or detention centers where they're arriving is an additional question So these are ongoing allegations. This particular report at this time has had indication of some of those cases, but I think there's still a lot of investigation that's going to go forward around the extent to which these war crimes are continuing or even rise to the level of crimes against humanity, which are widespread and systematic attacks against a civilian population. We know, Shelley, and we've been concentrating here on the crimes against the Ukrainian population, the crimes uh, by Russian forces. We do know that in war, it brutalises everyone. Is it possible that there may have been crimes by Ukrainian forces against either Russian captives or Ukrainian citizens who were seen to be too sympathetic to Russia? The commission did mention two cases that they have found of violations by Ukrainian soldiers in relation to Russian military. Those are only two cases, though, and they were very clear to explain the difference in the extent and the gravity of cases that we are seeing or that they are finding evidence of by Russian military as compared to Ukrainian military. Certainly, there will be some cases that emerge of inappropriate or violations of international humanitarian law, the laws of war. There will be some that emerge by individual Ukrainian soldiers against Russian military, and they've, again, identified two so far. They will continue as a commission to look at that because their mandate is to look at all violations of the laws of war and human rights in respect to the territory of Ukraine, regardless of the party concerned. Yeah, look, just finally, Shelley, what consequences face the perpetrators of these war crimes, particularly even if Russia does lose this war, those people can simply flee back to within Russia's borders. There's no way to force Russia to give these people up. What consequences await them? We will see, in addition to these investigations that are going on by the commission mandated by the Human Rights Council, there's, of course, the International Criminal Court that is conducting ongoing investigations And they have the ability to bring individuals to a criminal accounting, to accountability. So that is an expectation that those investigations will continue. And then, of course, there are other ways in which 
the international community will expect reparations for violations undertaken by the Russian Federation. Accountability is extremely important, but it's, of course, very difficult to achieve. There is a history of achieving some level of accountability for international war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. And that's why we have an international court. And I think there will be a lot of expectations that there will be individuals who will be brought to account for violations how high up that goes and how much the International Criminal Court or other courts in jurisdictions in Europe have capacity to or the ability to get the individual's defendants in front of them is a case we will have to see as it plays out. But I think there is a tremendous amount of effort going on to ensure that the specter of accountability is real for those who are violating international law in Ukraine. Professor Shelley Inglis. She's the Executive Director of the Human Rights Centre and she's also a Research Professor of Human Rights and Law at the University of Dayton in Ohio. Thank you for joining us on the Religion and Ethics Report. Thanks for having me. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.